thank you again for being with us this morning. And I'm looking forward to diving into Mark chapter 7. We're going to conclude uh, the chapter here this morning. And uh, uh, I do pray that you had a good time with your family or friends or whatever it was that you were able to do this, uh, this last week. And uh, I just I pray that it was great for you. I know for our family it was kind of different in that it was just us. But it was also really awesome uh, just to be just us, which is not very normal when it comes to holidays and things. My parents were out of town, and uh, we had talked to different people, but it just landed that it was just us, and it was great to just uh, sit and do nothing. Uh, it was good. So uh, we're coming in as we, uh, we are coming into uh, the end here of Mark chapter 7, and uh, Jesus has now served publicly in Galilee, and uh, if you recall last week, he left uh, he was going to Tyre and Sidon, he was going to get away, he was getting to uh, really just to what we just talked about, just some rest, and he was going to be with his disciples. And though the disciples have already come to the place where they have said, surely and truly, this is the Son of God. It wasn't one of those things where they are now, uh, where Jesus is uh, telling them who he is, that they have now they fully aware this is God, this is Jesus, uh, we are following Him. But it was a time that Jesus, I believe that Jesus was just trying to uh, bring them together. If you, if you know, we've spoke of this, we're coming into kind of the, the, the big ladder push of Jesus' ministry. The last year, year and a half of His ministry is where we're coming into. And, and He's got just a, a small window to begin to and to continue to teach the disciples because he knows he's going to shortly be gone and they're going to now lead uh, in the time moving forward. And so Jesus is taking that time away and they go and they begin to teach or he begins to teach. We looked at last week the, the encounter with a woman who had a, a great faith as we looked at that she was willing to just take the crumbs uh, off the table that would go for the dogs. But we come here this passage is they are now leaving in verse 31 it says and again departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon he came unto the sea of Galilee so Jesus has now left that area he is now traveling from where they are going about 110 to 120 miles towards the the sea of Galilee the shoreline there the the area of Decapolis and uh He's going to begin to do some ministry. And as we, we look at this passage of Scripture, what I find, one of the things off the bat that I find very, very, very interesting to me, and not, maybe not interesting, but it's awesome in many regards, is Jesus, if you go back to Mark chapter number 5, a passage that most everybody, if you weren't with us, you at least know of the passage, is Mark chapter number 5 where Jesus heals the demoniac of the Gadarenes. So the, 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 the man that was healed, he was full of demons. It says legions, um, which is thousands of demons that were filling this man. He was healed. And if you recall in that passage of Scripture, the man, uh, Jesus is going back out on the boat, and the man comes running and says, Hey! <laughs> Don't leave without me. And Jesus looks at him and he says, whoa, time out. You cannot come with me. Go back home. Go back to your people and tell them all the things that has happened. Do you remember what we're talking about? We're now back in that same region. 
We're in the same area, if you will, of this man's hometown. We're in that same area where this man had now not been able to go with Jesus, but rather he went back home. And I would imagine that he told everybody, and he probably didn't have to tell them much of anything, if you're really honest, if you really think about it. The man was, if you recall in that passage in 5, he would walk naked, he would beat himself, he was, he was abused because he was full of demons. He was screaming and yelling and he was a mess. And then it says that what? He was clothed and basically he was normal. So now he goes back to his hometown. He goes back to the region that, that was where he came from. And this is the region that we're in this morning. If you were to go to Matthew chapter 15, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 and 31 is kind of the, the parallel passage of Mark chapter 7. It's just very, very short. Mark 7 goes into a little more detail. But in Mark or Matthew 15, it says this, And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee, went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Think about that. All of what we just read in Matthew chapter 15 is really because one man's life was radically, drastically changed by God. He goes back home and he begins to tell all of the people. And when they hear that this same Jesus is now back up into a mountain, sitting upon the mountain, it says the multitudes came with their loved ones and their friends and the people that they knew that were maimed and, and lame and and unable to speak, and all of these different things, and Jesus began to heal. Even though those group of, that group of people worshipped a false or a pagan gods, they, they did not worship the God of Israel. They did not worship that. They had their own idols. They had their own deities. They, did, they had all of those things, but yet there was something about this Jesus that drew them to this place, and it may have just been that one man. It may have been the reality that they saw with their eyes what that one man's transition was or transformation was. And maybe as they're now dealing with it, they've went to their deities, they've went to their idols, they've cast everything before them now all this period of time and nothing is happening. They're not being healed, lives aren't being changed and nothing is taking place. And now they say, hey, we've got to go. We've got to go see this Jesus. And it brings us to the man that is mentioned in Matthew 15. Very, very briefly in passing, but also here in Mark chapter 7. In Matthew's passage, we don't see a name. We don't see much outside of he would have just been mentioned in the lame and the blind and the dumb and the maimed and so many others. He would have been inside of that. And we see here in Mark chapter 7 a man who was deaf and unable to clearly communicate. I've titled the sermon, Astonished Beyond Measure, straight from really verse number 37 where it speaks of that, that there was truly an astonishment. 
And I, I believe with everything in me inside of this passage of Scripture, I feel like there's so many aspects where we ought to be astonished at who God is. I would start with just one simple thought. Is I am continually, uh, maybe dumbfounded is or isn't the right word, but I'm continually to be dumbfounded at the personal relationship that God desires to have with me. I am astounded that God, that Jesus in His ministry always took the time to get close to somebody, to touch somebody, to be with just them and to focus on just them, even though He could have just from the multitude just sat back and said, ah, you over there and you over there and oh, there's healing or there's this or there's that. And He never even had to go to them, but yet He would individually so often take the time to do that. And I would say if we were to stop and we were to step back and look and really begin to dissect our relationship with God, I would, I wonder how much we really look at the personal touch that Jesus or God has in our lives. If we were to go through just His healings of the blind and the leper and the deaf and the mute and the woman with the issue of the blood or the raising of the dead or the boy whose father came to plead with Him and the list goes on and on and on and these are things that Jesus had done physically speaking, where He physically touched or He spoke an aspect of, of healing into their lives. What about you and your spiritual life? Where He met with you individually as a person, wherever it was that you were, and has brought you to where you are. He is a personal God. I love to, like, I don't know everybody's story in this room, but we could go around this room and begin to share the testimony of how God personally touched you in that place. And it's amazing if you stop and think about it. Because there's some in this room that it was a personal touch in the midst of a jail cell in the midst of drugs and alcohol, in the midst of being on a street, in the midst of coming from a Christian home, in the midst of all forms of things, your co-worker, your aunt or uncle who has prayed for you, whatever it is, there's so many different stories right here of where God met you right where you were and is working and taking you even right now where we are. Because he's a personal God who loves and he cares. But also, as we look at this passage of Scripture and you think of all of these people, is that all of them were brought to Jesus. All of them were brought to Jesus. So we could go back to that same statement of you were all met somewhere, but yet Somebody brought you there. Somebody brought this deaf and mute man to Jesus. Somebody brought the leper. Somebody brought the man who couldn't walk. But yet what is awesome in all of those things is, though I may have brought you, God personally reaches you 
right in that moment. And so this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture and as we talk about just the astonishment of who God is, that we can be astonished beyond measure, I, I also come back to the thing, and that, that reality of it still takes you to bring somebody. Who in your life needs a touch from God that you are the one that has the inroad, if you will? Because that's, that's where it's hard. But that's what we've been called to do. And so this morning, I, I, I think that today's passage of Scripture comes in, in many different avenues or aspects of it there. I think there's the aspect of you and I as believers that we need to do our part to to uh, bring somebody to Jesus, the Jesus that changed us and saved us and transformed us. But there's also the other side of that where we might need to be reminded of that Jesus. Have you ever just kind of gone on your own? And sometimes you need to be reminded of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God you need to be reminded of the personal touch that God is. And I really, as much as anything, in the 830 service, uh, I, I said it this way. This is really kind of church family. I don't see any guests this morning, and I'll deal with it as such that this is church family. And I know there's people that watch online. And so a lot of that aspect, I'm going to take it back, and my heart will be that we really just stop for a moment. And maybe, be just, maybe we would just be reminded a little bit today of that aspect, that the astonishment, that He is the greatest thing, that He is the one that we need the touch from, and that He is the one that we ought to be in awe of. Sometimes in the hustle and bustle of everything that we do, we forget. That's the greatness of the holidays, right? One of the greatest pieces of the holidays is what? We can go throughout the whole year you haven't spoken to your family member in three months, six months. Maybe it's a text message of, hey, I miss you or whatever. And then a holiday's come and you sit down and you begin to think about it. And next thing you know, you're crying. Two weeks ago, you didn't even think. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, I haven't seen, you know. But around the holidays, man, we miss our family a lot more. We're reminded of some of those things, whether it's through tradition or through the reality. Like, man, it's been, you know, I don't remember the last time we had Thanksgiving with all of us together. And we're reminded of all of those things. And sometimes it's good to be reminded, spiritually speaking, just the same. Mark chapter number 7 is where we're going to be. And I, just a simple little thought is Jesus' personal touch is astonishing. And it's driving me to bring others to His touch. And I love the idea, I said it, but though someone brought you, Jesus dealt personally with you. And you became astonished at His goodness. I, I hope that we grasp some of those things this morning. We take some of those things with us as we go. But Mark chapter 7, 31 through 37. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, He came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto Him one that was deaf and had an impediment in His speech. And they beseech Him to put His hand upon Him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephtha, that is, be opened. 
And straightway his ears were open, and the, the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it. And were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Father, I come to you today. and Lord, I pray even as we, as we are here this morning, really just church family. God, I pray that you would give us a reminder of your love, of your personal touch. Give us a reminder of our need of You. Give us a reminder that we ought to be in awe and astonished at Your goodness. Lord, if there is somebody that sits here, Lord, maybe they've played the game. Maybe they've walked through church for so long. God, may their eyes be open today to see. Lord, they don't need to act any certain way they just need surrender to you and god would you draw us would you draw them to yourself just meet with us today i pray that your word would speak and pierce our hearts that you would be glorified from it in jesus name amen the first simple thought is this the great need of mankind the great need of mankind i think for us we obviously could could state and look at it and go, well, the greatest need that we have is obviously to understand our need of Him. Our need to realize that we must come to a place of being desperate and dependent upon Him. But yet I would say in the same conversation, in the same statement, it is so incredibly tough to be dependent on anybody or God. Is it not? I'm pretty sure that I got a lot of like blank stares. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one in the room that struggles having to ask somebody for help or to be dependent on anybody else. We don't like it. Some people like to ask for help way too much. But for the most part, people do not like to ask for help. We struggle with the angel tree every single year because people don't want to say, I really could use that. And part of me says I understand and I respect that and all those things, but the other part of me is like, but let us help you so you're not dying. But I'll just tell you the same. I am no different because my pride would say it'll be okay. It'll be okay and I'll fight through it. But, you know, it's the same thing spiritually speaking. We allow the same thing to keep us from God. Because I don't like to feel that I need anything or anybody. Even in my spiritual life, I could stand here and you could stand here and you could stand there talking to the people that you know and you might be more pious than I am. But at the end of the day, all of us will say, oh, we need Him. Oh, I know that I need Jesus. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty, we will figure out a way to make it happen. Until we are at our wit's end. And then it's like, oh, oh, God, now I need you. Because we don't like to be dependent on people 
And that oftentimes trickles into our relationship with God. We don't want to be dependent, but we need to be dependent. It's a struggle. We're prideful. We don't like to be humbled. It takes a great humility to ask somebody for help, but it also takes great humility to ask the Lord for help. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, I I think that we see a little bit of all of these things. These people came to a place where they recognized the, the need that they had at the moment was a physical healing of some kind. The guy that we're looking at was deaf and he could not speak. He may not have come to the place of recognizing his spiritual need, but he recognized his physical need. And Jesus would deal with the physical to get to the spiritual oftentimes. And as we look at this and as we, as we touch base from our perspective as, for the most part, believers this morning, we ought to be in a place of dependence on God. These people came to a place where they brought to Him the many that were sick. They, being the people, the multitude, realized their need that they could not fix their friend. Have you ever got to the place where you realized you can't fix it? Whether it's a project at home, for me, it's the initial, I can handle it, and then it's the phone call, hey, Dad. (laughs) Or it's somebody else that I know is, whatever that is, like, hey, quick question for you. I don't know what to do here. I now put myself in a pickle, and I'm stuck. Can you save the day, (laughs) right? But we do that in so many different aspects of life where we come to a place where we're now at a place of need. I am now dependent. I have to be dependent. I have to. I was humbled. These people may have come to that place where they've done all that they can. They've taken them to the doctors. They've taken them to the witch doctors. They've they've had them touched. They've had them, uh, the incense blown all around them. They've done everything that they can from all of the people in all of their areas. And now they've heard about this Jesus. You know what? I'm going to do this. I've done everything else. I'm bringing them there. I've gotten to the place. They've pleaded. They've cried. They've come to the place that they need this. Can I say spiritually speaking, as we look at this passage and as we continue to press into it, I think one of the things that we fail in, and by we, I would say myself, church people, people outside of the church, is we really don't grasp and understand the true depth and hatred that God has for sin. And so because of that, it keeps me at arm's reach. It keeps me at this place where because I'm not truly understanding that my sin is hated, that my sin is loathed, that my sin is so horrific I don't stay at a place of desperation. When I truly grasp, have you you read Scripture before? And you read Scripture and you're just broken to the place where you've, you've known it, but then you read it and God just shows you again? Go back and read, what is it, Isaiah 6. And sometimes you read that and you're just like, oh my word, holy, holy. We just sung holy, holy, holy. I'm, I'm undeserved of these things. My sin, sin is what caused Jesus to be upon a cross. Sin is what caused the world to be flooded by God. Sin is what caused so much 
And we just look at it sometimes and we go, well, it's okay. Because my sin is better than their sin. And so we excuse so many things which ultimately keeps us from a place where we're not dependent on God because I'm okay. The reality is sin is absolutely hated. It cannot be in the presence of God. And therefore, in that setting, and when I grasp it, I am broken to a place where I say, oh God, I need you. I'm desperate. I must be dependent on you. The greatest need that we have is Him. And it's His touch. It's His personal love. It's His care. It's all of these things. And as we get into this, as we look at this, I feel that so often sin, well, we know sin is what keeps us from Him, but because we think so small of sin, it keeps us from Him. I wonder if we have come to the place or I would imagine like this man was just in complete despair. I would imagine he was lonely. He just lived with this agony of despair, this hopelessness, this uh, whatever it was. And I would imagine that many of us came in that same place. You got to a place where you were in despair. You were hopeless. You were lonely. You were, you were just, I'm alive. Maybe you didn't even want to be alive until somebody brought you to the place where you recognized the greatest need that you had would ultimately be to be dependent upon who God is. This man was brought in the midst of his dis- despair, in the midst of just... Uh, sheer dependence he came they thought if Jesus could just put his hand upon him and they begged him it says in the the King James that they beseeched him that is that they they pleaded they were begging him to just touch him and I love this next, next aspect of this as we get into the touch of Jesus is that Jesus calls this guy to himself. I can't help but kind of, again, just kind of family talking to you this morning. I have four kids. I've said that often. But it's amazing to think that with each one of my children... There's different personalities, for sure. They're all different. But spiritually speaking, God's dealt with them differently also. I believe that all of my kids have a tender heart towards God, but they all have tender hearts in different areas towards God. I love that Brinley, is Brinley in there? Brinley's in the back. No, she's not in, she's not even in here. We're gonna keep an eye on your daughter. She's not even in the service. Just kidding. It's okay. Like Brinley, if you know Brinley, she loves babies, real and fake. She has way too many baby dolls. But I genuinely, I don't know that I know of another person, maybe her mother, <laughs> who loves babies. 
like a true compassion and loves children. Like if she is in your presence of one of your children and they fall and hurt, she weeps. Like she will weep over your child, though she has nothing to do with it. It's not like she dropped them. They were crying, and she will break, like she will hurt for that. Then I have other children, Riley, who will laugh at that child who is crying. But at the same time, Riley is so different in how God would use her. Because they're completely different people. From Madison to Elijah. God is a personal, individual God. Big Jim has been a friend of mine almost 20 years that I've known Big Jim. One of the biggest people I've ever met in my life, but also one of the most compassionate, tender-hearted people I've ever met in my life. I did not know him when he was younger, when he would tell you that he wasn't so tender-hearted and compassionate. But God has used Big Jim in my life over the course of almost 15, 16 years. Completely different than he has other people in this room. Because God is a personal God. And in this story, what I love about this story is... When Jesus comes, they bring this man to Jesus, and Jesus says in verse number 33, or not Jesus says, but and he took him aside from the multitude. And you, you, I kind of just picture Jesus, again, sitting on this hillside with a multitude. We don't know if that's hundreds, we don't know if that's thousands, but we know that there's a multitude of people gathered on this hillside, and there's all of these people, the lame and the dumb and the, 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 the many countless other illnesses that were facing Jesus, and Jesus is sitting there, and he individually says, hey, why don't you come aside over here? Why don't you come over here? Have you ever been in a gathering of people, maybe it's children, where you just pulled somebody aside and you just gave them a little bit of attention? Maybe you were the one in the crowd where somebody just pulled you over and put their arm around you or punched you in the stomach and just was joking with you. You were one of the 500, but somebody talked to just you. Have you been there? You know how special that you feel? Jesus takes this one individual because he's a personal God. When we come to the place of realizing the need that we have, the greatest need that we have is him, he just says, I'm going to stop everything. I don't care who's around. Why don't you come over here? Why don't you come right here? And the next thought is this, is it says that he touched him. The next point there is that the touch of Jesus is the touch of Jesus. I feel I have a great heart for young people. And I guess in some ways I kind of, I picture as I was just kneeling down and I picture sometimes in the gathering of people I don't know, I hope that it's not offensive to anybody that's in here, but there's often times where people line up to say goodbye at the door. And children come. I will stop talking to you if a children comes at my knees. It's not to be rude, but I will stop and hug the child 
I will leave the line and go take them to my office to get them a lollipop. Sorry if that makes you upset, mom and dad. And I don't do it to make the kid like me, though that's helpful. But it might just be the one time I might be one person in their life that they remember when they're now 20 or 30 years old. I just remember Pastor Aaron would always stop and give me a hug. It was personal to them. Jesus stopped and gave me a hug. For me, it was at a Cuddy's campsite after vacation Bible school on a, sun, on a, on a summer night where Jesus stopped and individually gave me a hug. He said, hey, Aaron, why don't you come over here where my mom had brought me and my mom got to lead me to the Lord. Listen, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I, I hope in some of what I'm saying here, and this was not the intention, but it's just kind of where I feel God has led this morning, is that we would stop for a little bit and just be reminded of the touch that God gives. The personal touch for you. This passage of Scripture says that Jesus pulls him aside. And look at it. There's no more personal touch than what we're about to see. He literally takes his fingers and sticks them in the guy's ears. And then what does the next thing say that he does? He spits and touches his tongue. John, you want to come here? Let me spit and grab your tongue. <laughs> but he touches and he spits upon his hand. I don't, and we don't know, but I'm assuming that he spit upon his fingers and he reached out and touched his tongue. What was the spit? I don't know. I know historically, based on the region that they were, when many of that in that day that were not biblical healers, that were the, the, the gods and the different soothsayers and the witch doctors and the different things in that day, that spittle was a part of their healing. So if Jesus was doing that because that's what he would have known and he gave him more of an assurance that, hey, this is okay, we don't know. But he spat and he touched his tongue and then it says what? He looked up to heaven. He sighs and then he says, be open. That sigh is literally a, 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 a compassionate plea, I feel, that it's not just a, oh, but I genuinely just sense from everything that I've read, it's, it's, a, it's a, a true heart of compassion, of brokenness, of God. You need to touch this man. God, would you open him up? Would you allow him to, to speak? And he just has that crying out to God and his father saying, God, here. As he touches this man. Hey, this morning... Do you remember? Do you remember a touch? An ear, finger in the ear, spittle on the mouth, whatever you want to look at it. But do you remember the touch? Where you were? And here's what's amazing about this. 
Here's what's absolutely amazing about this, and it's the same with every other aspect of Jesus and God and what they have done and throughout ministry, is what? He didn't do it, and then in days to come, it slowly, progressively got better. No, He did it, and immediately there was healing. Immediately when God touched you, it was healing. When you came to Jesus, it wasn't one of those things where uh, it'll get better over the next couple weeks and back down here sometime is you'll be saved. No, you were made pure the moment God touched you. Do we remember that? Sometimes I just need a good reminder. Maybe it's more because I grew up in a Christian home and literally my entire life, all I've known is this setting. And maybe I just need to be reminded just because you're in a Christian home, sin is hated by God. And it may not have been as bad as that, guys, but it was hated by God and it would separate and it will separate you. Sometimes I just need to be reminded that when I was a child, God touched me and made me whole. Immediately. Maybe you need to be reminded of that. I've been reminded over and over, Kenny McCoy, who does our children's ministry, we have been, once a week, early in the morning, we've been getting together and just been reading and just challenging each other, and we've, we chose Revelation, and so we've not been doing a deep study. Uh, some of you guys get really excited, oh, what are you learning, you know, what are the, what are the things, and it's, it's really been very generic, it's no commentaries, it's just what God gives us, we write down, we talk about it. And I haven't been able to get past one verse. In Revelation 1, in verse 3, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And every time that we go from one chapter to the next, and to the next, and to the next, I'm reminded and I've brought back to this place, Inside of the church and outside of the church, we're all enamored by the prophecies. We're all enamored by the prophetic things that are to come. We're enamored by the, the dragon, and we're enamored by the, the things inside of Revelation that are absolutely really cool and would make a really neat story in a book, right? To see it, if this, does this really, is this... Is this something that's allegory? Is this something that's really going to happen? And you begin to walk through it and you kind of ask these questions. But here's what's just gripped my heart. Is this. If I am more enamored by the things that will take place than the reality that my friend that doesn't know Jesus will be a part of those things that take place and eternally separated from God, then shame on me. And as we go through this, I hope that you are reminded of the touch that God gave you. That you are reminded that you need Him. The greatest need that any of us have is Him. And we need the touch. But so does the person down there that you love. Your relative. Your neighbor. Your co-worker. Whoever it is that's in your circle. They need Jesus. But they need somebody to bring them to Him. And as I've studied Revelation just generically with Kenny, I've been reminded every single week, wow, there's people that I know 
that could deal, could face that. And if you've read it, there ain't nothing in there as cool as we might look at it and go, wow, there's nothing really cool about it. The torment that will take place for those that don't know the Lord. It's, it's been a reminder to me that I've been, I've, I was brought to God and realized my great need. I've been touched in a manner where God has personally said, hey Aaron, and it ought to cause me to share with others. The last thought is, is just that really. It is the, that of being astonished beyond measure. He looks at the man and the others and he says, do not tell anyone. Now I believe from reading and from studying, most of that is Jesus. It's, it's not so much that he didn't want anybody to know, but a lot of that was his own safety. Like, hey, let me get out of here before you do this, because they've already tried to get him, they've already done all these things. But, but as much as anything, he says, hey, keep silent. Don't tell anybody. How many of us have kept silent about what God has done in the transformation of our lives. These people couldn't. Now, in some ways, they couldn't because if the deaf-mute guy walks into the room and now can hear and speak, everyone's going to perk up. What happened to him? The same with the, the guy that was filled with the demons and the, the demoniac there. When he went back home and people saw him in normal clothes and he was dressed normal and acting normal and had a normal wit about him, there was not going to be a person that was not going to look at him and go, what happened? Not everybody in this room has had that experience where literally your friends would look at you and go, who are you? Some of you have. Some of you don't have those friends anymore because you didn't stay in that same way. You were transformed and you went a different direction and they wanted nothing to do with you. Some of us, myself included, not much changed, if you will, externally. We've just kept quiet. And we don't say much. Listen, can I just plead with you? I'm not, this is not a beat down. This is not, this is, this is, I pray, I genuinely pray that this is a reminder, that this is a, maybe it's a, a kick in the pants, going into the holidays, whatever it might be. But can I plead with you and can I ask you the question, are you astonished at who God is in your life? Are we astonished? Because if I'm astonished at anything, I talk about it. I talk about it. I took Ethan home from the ranch the other day. He and Riley go out to the ranch. He was asking our favorite movies. You don't need to cover your eyes. I'm not really... Just making a point... If you know me, I'm not a movie or a TV person. It's not because I'm better than that. It's just because literally I, my mind is that 
handicap, and I can't follow a, tor- a storyline, just period. Five minutes after I've watched it, I'm like, what just happened? We would, Mindy and I used to, this is, this is how serious of a problem I have. Mindy and I would go to Redbox. Remember when Redbox was a thing? We'd go to Redbox. We'd put the kids to bed. We would watch a movie. I would go back the next week, and I would be like, hey, babe, what about this show? And she's like, we got that last Friday. Yours truly, that's me. So Ethan is asking about movies. What are our favorite movies? I don't know that I have a favorite movie. I'm not going to lie. And he began to tell us his three to four. I'm not telling the, the movies. It's okay. But he began to tell the movies, but then he began to do what? Tell about the movie. Why he likes it. The characters that are in the movie. And explaining the pieces, parts of it. Why? Because whatever it was about that gripped him. It, he likes it. It's okay to like movies. I'm not, it's, I'm not an anti-movie guy. But what I'm saying is, when you like something, not necessarily that he's astonished by it, but we talk about it. We share those things. You know what? When I, I've now walked this life with Jesus for so long, it's just kind of like, eh. I go to church. Sometimes it can lose an amazement. Because we allow it to lose an amazement. Why? Because I've not remembered that God hates sin, and I'm okay with it, and it takes me apart, and I'm now no longer amazed by the goodness and the grace and the mercy, and I just kind of get comfortable with where I'm at. I'm asking, are we astonished at the goodness of God? Am I astonished at the personal touch that Jesus got down and He said, hey, come here. Let me Let me talk to just you. And if you look in that passage of Scripture in 37, it says what? And they were beyond measure astonished. And what does it say? Saying, He hath done all things well. If you go throughout Scripture, there's several places in Scripture where it says almost that same thing. How about in Genesis Right? In Genesis, he created all things. And what did he say after every day? It was good. And the second day, it was good. And he looked at it and he said, it was good. They looked at Jesus and they said, wow, he did all of these things and it was good. For the sake of time, I don't, I'm not going to go through, but if you were to personally on your own Go back and look at Isaiah 34 and Isaiah 35, and I bring this up. Um, this, the word mute is in Scripture basically two times. One is in Isaiah, and the second is here in Mark. And if you remember, I've mentioned this over and over, a big portion of Mark's teaching is specifically to be, uh, to take Jesus, not as a man, but to let them know that He is God. Do we recall those sharing that? So specifically with Mark, it is to constantly, they're making, they're, they're, geez, he's pointing out that Jesus is not just a good guy, he's not a good teacher, but he is God. And again, in Mark chapter 30, or Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, he says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then shall the lame man leap as a heart 
and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and the streams in the desert. And Jesus again, here in this passage in Mark chapter 7, is reminding them or showing them or telling them, hey, remember reading all that back there in Isaiah? Remember those things? You know those things. The dumb is speaking. The lame is leaping. All of the things that have been prophesied, all the things that you've been learned, that you have learned, all of the things that you have been taught, all of those things are happening. I am God. He's just reminding them one more time. Can I say to you today, I don't think I need to say He is God. But look at your life. If I were to put a mirror right now in front of every single person in this room, if I were to give you a microphone and we were to go back and say, do you remember the time when you realized that God was the greatest thing that you needed? Do you remember the time that he personally came to you and touched you? Do you remember the moment? Do you remember the astonishment? Do you remember the amazement? What are you doing about it today? Are you still amazed? Are you still astonished that God, looking at a mirror, wow, God, God loves me. God cares for me. God cares for you. I wonder if we'd be so astonished to bring others with us. I wonder if we'd be so astonished to just even now in just a moment, to come forward and say, God, thank you for reminding me. Not at anything that I am, because I'm worthless. I am unworthy. But God, I'm reminded again that you are so good. Your grace is so sufficient. God, forgive me where I have taken for granted sin where I've brushed it under the rug, where I've thought it's okay because it's better than the guy beside me. God, I need you. I continue to need your touch. Do you continue to need the touch of God? I sure do. Every day. And I'm ashamed to say it, far too often I find myself not in amazement and astonished where I ought to be.